needed. Our gospel lesson this night comes from the second chapter of Luke. Hear these words. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax lists. This first enrollment occurred when Quirinius governed Syria. Everyone went to their own cities to be enrolled. Since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage, and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Nearby shepherds were living in the fields guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angel stood before them. The Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. They said, glory to God in heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go right now to Bethlehem and see what happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. They went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw this, they reported what they had been told about this child. Everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds told them. Mary committed these things to memory and considered them carefully. The shepherds returned home, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything happened just as they had been told. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My wife was leading Christmas Eve worship eight years ago with a very noticeable baby bump. She was 39 weeks pregnant with our firstborn, and it changed the way we experienced Advent and Christmas that year in ways that made the story mean, seem much more real and much less glamorous. Laura had a friend who was getting married in California that fall, and we had to plan out how far this wedding would be from the due date when we asked our OBGYN about when it would be safe to travel and take such a long trip. Traveling even before that window felt precarious. We didn't want to risk being away from our doctors whom we knew, the hospital that we had toured like all good first child parents. Even today, with all of our medical knowledge and expertise, pregnancy is risky. Christmas was a big risk. Mary didn't have the opportunity to consult her OB about her travel plans, I don't think. There weren't a lot of doctors and hospitals on the road from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Mary could have gone into labor early and birthed the Son of God on the side of the road. Mary could have had any number of complications with the pregnancy. They might not have made it to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecies they didn't know they were fulfilling. Risk upon risk was that first Christmas. 
The baby could have died in infancy or been stillborn like happened to so many. Isn't this part of the risk of Christmas? We kind of struggle with these ideas because somewhere in our minds we say, well, Jesus is God, so the pregnancy and process had to be perfect. After all, we listen and sing those words of away in a manger that sing, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And I think it's the biggest lie ever told in a song. Mary and Joseph were exhausted in those first months, just like every new parent. They didn't sleep. They wondered why the baby was so cranky from 4 to 6 p.m. every day. And they surely were doing the equivalent of looking things up online about breastfeeding and fevers and naps. We have cleaned up this story, taken out these details with their utter humanity, bloodiness, and routine. We've replaced it with serene candlelit images and fuzzy edges around them. I love the Christmas carol that's actually from Appalachia. It's I wonder as I wander. In the third verse, the singer wonders if Jesus had wanted for any wee thing, a star in the sky or a bird on the wing, or all of God's angels in heaven for to sing, he surely could have it because he was the king. Could Jesus have had whatever he wanted? That seems to be, in my opinion, our misguided view. We skew towards the godness or the divinity of Jesus. He didn't cry. He must have been the easiest baby and the kindest child. He could just summon whatever he wanted from that little perfect infant body. That, however, doesn't seem to be what Scripture tells us. That's our own reinterpretation upon the story. For God taking on flesh was a big risk. John 1 verse 14 says, The word became flesh and made his home among us. The fancy word for this is incarnation. Carne means flesh or body. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, taking on flesh. When we say the long creed once in a while, the Nicene Creed in church, we say these words, for us in our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. Truly human. He didn't just seem human. God the Son became human. At some point, the second person of the Trinity became a human embryo. God took on flesh. God grew inside of a human mother, dependent on her body for nourishment and growth and for safety. That is a tremendous risk. And the incarnation wasn't just risk, before and after childbirth, that's just the beginning. For when God takes on human flesh, he also takes on all of our vulnerability. Scott Erickson, the artist who painted the prints on our walls right there in the sanctuary, he wrote a book last year called Honest Advent. And in one of his reflections in that book, he writes, you might think 
God in flesh would be the most all-encompassing, attractive being there ever was with no risk of rejection. But the answer to that assumption is a big biblical nope. What we see in the Chronicles about Jesus' life is that being seen was complicated for him too. His incarnation was not void of hardship and heartbreak. Friends, God faced the reality of rejection in the incarnation. Of course, we think about the ultimate rejection that God experienced on the cross, being put to death. But the story of Jesus begins with rejection. He's placed in a feeding trough. Humanity failed from the very beginning of his life to receive the Lord. This is the risk that God takes in the incarnation. And I'm left with this question for God on this night. Why? Why take the risk? Friends, to love is to risk. Every significant relationship we have hits this point, this point of no return, where you realize that your heart is going to get completely shattered if the love isn't returned. Where you realize that you are all in and you have to lay it out there before you're completely sure that the other person feels the same way. When we love, we risk. We risk the vulnerability of putting ourselves out there. We risk it in parenting. We risk it in friendships. We risk it even in connecting to a church. God took this risk of coming in our flesh because of the shepherd's reaction to the news. They were told that this is wondrous, joyous news for all people. Your Savior has been born today. And they immediately trek to Bethlehem to find the sign from the angels. And on the way back, after everything was as they had been told, they glorify and praise God. They celebrate because they recognize that this baby means that God loves the world. We know that verse from John 3.16, but those opening words of it struck me over and over again this week. For God so loved the world that he gave. God loves this world. God loves this world that he created. And God created it initially out of an abundance of love. This tiny baby who we celebrate tonight is the same word who was with God in the beginning, speaking all things into existence. This is cosmic good news. The risk is worth it for God to show once and for all that God loves us. Before this, no one could tangibly see the love of God. Now God, the invisible one, has skin and bones, a heart like ours. God comes to us. Many times our experience of God, whether through church experiences or people telling us about religion, or even when we read through the Old Testament, we might get this idea like we have to somehow reach out to God, like we have to be good enough to gain or earn God's acceptance of us. And we know that we are never as holy as we should be. We never feel like we're doing enough for God. And so instead of feeling the embrace of God's love for us when we think about church or about faith, we feel shame. 
or we feel abandoned, or we just can't believe that God would love me like I am. We feel like God will find us out and know that we are frauds somehow. So a lot of people ditch religion or church because it represents this shameful feeling. Friends, God does not intend for you to feel shame. If someone in my position as a spiritual leader or a church or even a family member made you feel like you're not good enough for God to love you, I am sorry. That is wrong. God loves the world because God has always loved the world. We see this love in its fullness as Jesus comes to us in the flesh. For tonight, we see the empathy of God. God literally walks around in our shoes, takes on our flesh and blood. Here's what I want you to hear today. I want you to hear it and to experience it deep in your core. God loves the world, and God loves you. This is why Jesus entered the world and took the risk of taking on flesh. Because God loves you, and there is nothing you can do about it. You may have walked away from God. You may be full of doubts about how the God of the universe could enter the world as an embryo. You may have been burned or hurt or mistreated so badly that you have come to the conclusion that God couldn't love you. You may have messed up and done things you know aren't good. And you have come to believe that you don't deserve this kind of love. Meanwhile, Jesus is here, standing at the door and knocking, waiting to see if you will let him in. Because he loves you, he will always love you, and he never stops. Oh, that you might take the risk and love him in return. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, on this night, when we remember the love that made you come into our flesh, God, I pray that just that reality of your God with us would sink in deep into our being. God, that we would realize that whatever voices tell us, whether they're our own voices in our heads, whether they are the voices of churches past or religious experiences past, or bad relationships that tell us that we aren't good enough, that tell us things like we should be ashamed. God, we pray, I pray in this moment, God, that you would help us to see that who we are when we stand before you is beloved, that you love us so much that you would go to the length of coming into our existence to love us. God, I pray that that reality, that reality of your incarnation, that it would shake us deep to the core. For God, we are grateful. We are here today, 2,000 years later, because 
you loved us that much that you gave your only son for us. So it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.